Hey, Ding Dongs, welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast normally about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's spent over $1,000 on waffles alone. It's my sister, Marissa. Somebody pass the syrup. Another trip to JJ's for Marissa. While The Good Place is on hiatus, we're looking at other shows that are related to The Good Place in some way. In July, we are exploring the Scherniverse. So last week, we did The Office, and this week, we are revisiting Parks and Recreation. So before we get started, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. If you could rate and review us on iTunes, that would be lovely. And you can also follow and like us on Facebook. We have a group at The Good Play. Twitter, we're at The Good Play Pod. And you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Okay, cool. So... We're revisiting Parks and Rec this week. Yeah, multiple people had asked us to do this. So yeah. give the, you know, keep the customer satisfied. Yes. Uh, including Mitch, who wrote us a, an email a while back. Hey, Mitch, if you're still listening, we revisited Parks and Rec. And uh, Trifton asked for it, too. Yes. So and it seemed to be. Yeah. So this week, what we decided to do, because last time we did uh, Parks and Rec, we were talking about episodes that Megan Amram specifically had written for because we did we were doing Amramica the Beautiful and uh, this time around we just chose episodes that people voted on or I guess people suggested suggested and then whichever got like the most suggestions those are the ones we did yes and I secretly watched more than we even have on this list (laughs) are you coming around so I don't want to disappoint anybody because I know that I am an icon for many people. <laughs> and like there are children who aspire to be me. You're the you Tahani of this podcast. <laughs> uh, is that a good thing? Sure. <laughs> I think of anything I'm the cheaty of this podcast. <laughs> but um, so here's where I come down on Parks and Rec at the end of the day, because these were some really solid episodes that we watch. And I did watch a fair amount of this is all is this all season three? Yeah. So I, I watched a fair amount of season three, I, not all of them by any stretch of the imagination. And I skipped around to the ones where the summary on Netflix told me something interesting was going to happen, basically. And my thesis on this show at the end of the day is that it is very warm and it can be very interesting and it's not especially funny. Like it's a comedy in the sense that it's not a drama, but it's not very funny. So if I watch The Good Place, I am cracking up multiple times in the half hour. I mean, no question about it. There's no episode of The Good Place where I'm not laughing a bunch of times, right? There, uh, Parks and Rec gives me about one laugh per episode. Like, it gives me more smiles. It gives me more... Warm fuzzies. Warm fuzzies. More sort of, you know, invested head nods, maybe. <laughs> but, like times that I actually made a laughing sound with my mouth is it's one per episode. Oh, okay. Uh, specifically Harvest Festival, it's uh, the Native American chief like doing the fake ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the captions below that he's basically making fun of the white people who are watching him. Yeah. That I laughed at. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. most of the jokes on that show are very low... I don't want to say low energy, but they're just, they're just a little soft pedaled to me. Yeah. But that's not necessarily why you watch a show, right? Like I I can also see now 
kind of getting invested in the characters. And in fact, the reason that I watched forward as much as I did was I was like, I know that Ben and Leslie like get together because I know like they have babies together or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I know this is a thing that happens, but I kind of want to see how it happens. Yay. So I watched a few episodes until he finally like grabs her and kisses her. And I was like, that's good. My, that was I one have, of the ones I, have I wanted achieved. us to watch. I did watch it. Uh, I was like, good. I have achieved knowing how this relationship begins. And then I basically instantly stopped. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like it, it got to a part where he like accidentally met Leslie's mom, and I was like, "I'm good." I <laughs> I saw them. I saw them have their first kiss, and and that was the sort of release of the tension that had been building up for me in this season. Mm-hmm. And so now I feel like I can like put this down, and I I'm, I don't feel super compelled to come back to it. I will say like. If I were recuperating from an illness, <laughs> like, <laughs> or like if I had surgery or something, like what, let's say that I had to have like... a rousing endorsement. <laughs> if I were recuperating it, from an illness and I didn't it, it, need... <laughs> no, it kind of is. Like, if I were... Yeah, let's say I had like a knee replacement or something. I'm making this completely <laughs> up, by the way. My knees are fine. But if I had to have a knee replacement and then it's like, okay, you have to be completely off your feet for like two weeks or something, which again, I'm making this up. I have no idea if that's even true when you have a knee replacement, but I was just stuck on the couch for two weeks. I can see watching Parks and Rec because it would give me those warm fuzzies. It's like fuzzies. a warm bath. Yeah. Or yeah. a warm blanket, kind of, you know, and it's not giving you the anxiety that, you know, so I did have, you know, a couple periods of my life when I was just watching TV because I had two babies. Yeah. <laughs> and when you are initially home with babies, there is not much you can do except sit on the couch with them. So I watched through, like, all of A Bit of Fry and Laurie. I watched through all of Doctor Who. Some other shows that I'm kind of flaking on. I know I watched through... Oh, um, Charles Dickens, uh, Lady Deadlock, Gillian Anderson. That's uh, not a warm bath at all, that show. No, well, that's, that's kind of my point. What what was... what What is that one? Dang it. Greg a, something. No, not Great Gardens. Bleak House, Bleak House. I watched through all That's of Bleak, Bleak House. Bleak in the name. Yeah. Well, it was excellent, okay? But I'm saying that if what I needed was comfort, then I can see turning to Parks and Rec for that. Yeah. I can't really see turning to it for like, I'm going to watch this sort of, I have I watch one episode of TV a night at the end of the day, and this is going to be my thing that I watch. Right now for me, that's uh, Queer Eye. Yes. Because it's not, for me in my life, having something that's kind of a warm blanket is not especially compelling at this sort of point of what's like happening in my life. Mm-hmm. But I can see there being times in my life where it might be. Or if I had some sort of, you know, God forbid if I had some sort of like personal loss or something, right? Like I can see right. turning to Parks and Rec for that too. But it's just not funny enough for me to fill the slot of like, this is going to be the thing that makes me laugh. Yeah. That's I don't know. fair. I, I mean, like, and I, and so I hope this, I know I, I came down kind of negative on Parks and Rec last time, and I have definitely revised my opinion, because I think that those episodes that we watched were not terribly representative of the show. Yeah, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. I think these episodes are all more solid. These are, like, very highly rated, highly regarded episodes that we watched. They're yeah. sort of more myth arc episodes, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is an old, like, I don't, I never know if this is a term that people know. But back in the days when I was a huge X-Files fan, ask me about my GeoCities page. 
I oh, this th- is not the first time you've talked about X Files <laughs> on this podcast. Please trust. <laughs> Listeners, if you don't know that Marissa had a GeoCities page about X-Files already, then I don't know which podcast you've been listening to. But we used to divide the episodes. And by say we, I mean those of us who were on the Usenet alt.tv.xfiles. Uh-huh. Uh, we used uh-huh. to... <laughs> That's how old I am, by the way. We used to divide the episodes between myth arc and monster of the week yeah so monster of the week was like the one-off episodes you didn't have to know anything except like ah, that they're fbi agents and he's a believer and she's a skeptic and they're gonna go figure out about a guy who lives in a toilet and steals people's butts or whatever. Uh, that, that, the episode that you're mangling right now still freaks me out to this day i don't so. think I, is that is that the fluky one i don't think i've seen that one the one, the guy who, yes, you have the guy who um, can like twist through pipes and almost steal Scully's liver. You've seen that episode? No, no, no. That's that's that he does not live in a toilet, ma'am. He lives in a shopping mall, <laughs> underneath a shopping mall in a nest, <laughs> under the escalator. Yes. Also, I mean, every time I get on an escalator, I think about that. Do you? Re- wow. Yes. <laughs> it, it was an impressionable time. You were like seven years I old. I was or nine. Something. I was nine years old, everyone. So there's the Monster of the Week episodes. And then there's yeah. the Myth Arc episodes in X Files that are like the government conspiracy, you know, the ongoing plots of like Scully was abducted, Scully got cancer, Mulder's sister was killed, all that stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, so it seems like the. Parks and Rec episodes we watched for our first Parks and Rec podcast were more shenanigans monster- of the week episodes, monster of the week episodes, right? Yeah. And these these were much more myth arc episodes. It seems yeah, like. the the Harvest Festival especially because that was sort of the big thing that was announced at the end of season two. So that's probably true. That if you more- if you guys haven't watched Bleak House, it's. <laughs> Also, so, another Jillian Anderson joint. So, if you were one of the so people, she's so good in it. She's so good in it. It's a very depressing story. A lot of people die in it. Yeah, it has bleak in the name. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's um, all about. Believe it or not, it's all about this obscure legal system in old timey Britain, whereby they like divided money amongst heirs to fortunes and how long it took and how many of oh my god i'm already how much of the money was taken up by legal fees also well also smallpox (laughs) cool (laughs) (laughs) to your point about having knee surgery which antilles is in it okay well that will uh that's that's a good recommendation (laughs) if wedge is in it i'm in to your point about um, a show that you can get behind when you are uh, recovering from knee surgery, <laughs> a few years ago, this b- just before we dive in, a little sidetrack, a few years ago, our dad, uh, while he was traveling, fell down some stairs and busted his leg open. I so, forgot about that. Uh, yeah, you had left the house at that point, and I was home for the summer, and mom was basically like, well, I need to go to work, and dad needs his medication so you just sit here on the couch and get him anything he needs because he couldn't like get up he had surgery and he was like completely medicated and just like couldn't get up or do anything so i watched i think every episode of ncis on syndication (laughs) with dad on the couch for like weeks just weeks and that's how i you know and that show also has the same kind of like murder of the week slash myth arc episodes so it has that same kind of thing i thought you were gonna say columbo 
No, it was NCIS because it was on. He didn't. I got him the Columbo DVDs after a different surgery. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, NCIS. And so that's how I know all of the weird characters on that show. So our dad is somehow simultaneously like the healthiest guy and also the most medically fragile guy. <laughs> He's like going to the Y and also coming down with a different form of cancer every three years. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. <laughs> I mean, the Y is great. The cancer, not so much. Right. But anyway, so that's uh, that's that. But let's get down to business with uh, the episodes that we watch. So thank you, everybody who suggested and voted. We chose... So the way we did it was people suggested on Facebook and Twitter, and then I, being the bigger Parks and Rec fan of the two of us, picked... Uh, which episodes we did of everybody's suggestions. So we picked Flu Season, which is Season 3, Episode 2. We picked uh, Season 3, Episode 7, Harvest Festival. And we picked Season 3, Episode 9, April and Andy's Fancy Party, which is one of my absolute favorite Parks and Rec episodes ever. Wow, Leslie needs some chill in that episode. She needs some chill in every episode. That's the whole point of <laughs> Leslie Nope, and everyone around her is like, "You must chill." And she's—I mean—that's one of the reasons that she and Ben work together very well is they sort of mellow each other out. But so I'll do like the quick recap, and then we can kind of okay. talk about each episode. So um, in flu season, Leslie comes down with the flu before an important meeting to get local businesses to join the Harvest Festival. She rallies herself to make her speech uh, in like a pretty impressive, but also completely ridiculous way. <laughs> ben, is, he, he, he compares her to Michael Jordan, which I thought was pretty yeah. apt. Ben is very, very impressed. Uh, he and Leslie at this point are just colleagues uh, they had gotten off to a really rocky start at the end of season two, and so now they're kind of coming around to each other. Tom helps get other businesses for the Harvest Festival, but he kind of does it his own way, and he leaves Ben to prepare for the speech all by himself. Anne, who is a nurse at the local hospital, treats April and Chris, who are both in the hospital with the same flu that Leslie has. Leslie also, at some point in the episode, goes to the hospital to be treated for the flu, and he, she steals April and Chris's uh, flu medicine in order to <laughs> leave the hospital. I will say the one time I genuinely laughed in this episode was the like the little mini montage of Chris absolutely having a breakdown, yeah. like just sort of like lying on the floor, being like, "No, the floor is my friend." I vomited that somewhere was... in this room. <laughs> yes, that was the one time that episode that that I gave an audible laugh. I remember I listened to a. A, uh, an interview with Michael Schur where he talks about how unfair it is that Rob Lowe is that attractive, that good at acting, and also that funny all at the same time. Because he looks in the mirror and he's like, stop pooping. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. That was part of the little montage. That's where I actually laughed. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, Ron and Andy bond when Andy fills in for April because April's in the hospital with the flu. And Andy... Uh, then finds out that April's in the hospital and she and he goes to the hospital to ask April's forgiveness for kissing Anne at the end of the previous season. So that's everything. Th those are sort of the main points of that episode. Do you want to go through all three or do you want to sort of treat each one individually? Oh, I guess let's treat them individually. Otherwise, we'll kind of I think we'll kind of forget. Lose it. Okay. Yeah, we'll lose the thread. I still don't fully get April. I love and her. <laughs> she's sort of a major part of both this episode and the third episode we watched. Yeah. I don't get her. It's fine. I don't have to get her. I love her. <laughs> I love how at the end she's like, that's the most I've ever liked Anne. <laughs> when yeah, Anne, when Anne like, out. tears her a new one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I again, like, I know it's a comedy, and yet... When she's treating Anne so badly, I'm like, look, I've been in the hospital and there is no nurse on earth who is going to put up with that, right? Like, I've been in the hospital. They will barely answer the call button at all. And and I'm not, like, blaming nurses or slagging nurses, right? They are incredibly busy and overworked and understaffed. And you can press the call button and you're just like, you hope they come in the next 30 minutes. That's the best that's going to happen. <laughs> I think you're getting a little too in the weeds. I guess. I don't know. It's like, it's it's hard because, you know, The Good Place is a fantastical reality. A surreality or whatever. So it kind of doesn't matter what happens because everything, there are no rules, just mm-hmm. right. Um, so... But but this is supposed to be happening in my universe. So every time there's something that is not right, I'm like, eh. In the same universe as Eleanor and all of them on Earth, by the way. Right, allegedly, yes. Because of Dennis Feinstein. <laughs> we do meet John Ralphio briefly in one of oh these episodes. Oh my god, yes. I love him. He's my favorite. <laughs> He's so, he, he makes such a brief appearance, though I couldn't really get a read on him. He's fantastic. Ron had a great pivoting a little bit ron had one of my favorite uh lines in this episode where he says i'm not interested in caring about other people i once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name best friend i ever had we still never talk sometimes (laughs) yeah i mean i i was glad that he kind of came around and told andy that april was in the hospital that's that's sort of a hallmark of his character where like he seems like he to quote tracy jordan he acts like he doesn't care but he really does is that what is he talking was tracy jordan han solo han solo thank you (laughs) now there's a funny show i think i made this comparison last time yeah that you know the 30 Rock is sort of absurdist, so it doesn't yeah, matter exa- what happens Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's absurdist. It's a little bit more like The Good Place in that way, in some respects. He acts like he doesn't care, but he really does. So, like, Ron Swanson... No, Tracy, you can't have any of my songs. So, like, we're going down a rabbit hole here, but... Um, can, we get a, can we figure out an excuse to do 30 Rock? Sure. Ron Swanson acts like he doesn't care about people, but at the end of the day, he really does. And I think, in particular, he cares about the people in his department and he loves he loves april which makes me very happy they have like a good mentor mentee relationship in that he really loves the fact that she's so hostile and ineffectual (laughs) (laughs) and i also uh there was something else in this episode that reminded me of the office which was tom schmoozing with the old white guys at the spa because oh like michael scott yeah like so michael scott schmoozes or he like doesn't look like he's working but he actually is very effective at his job and i think that was you know that sort of carries through with tom i had a lot of problems with tom and i but i'm not remembering if it was in the episodes that we officially watched or the ones that i continued and went on and watched i mean he's he oh i think it was the ones i went on and watched the the online dating site one Oh, yeah. It was very, very creepy. Not in a way that I could laugh at at all. Oh, yeah. And then he he does, like, like, the dating show thing. Yeah, and then the dating show thing was also not great. Yeah, I mean, Tom's character is um, probably not my favorite. I was talking to a friend about this, and, you know, Tom's character is not my favorite. But I think he's supposed to be... And I know that, like, the whole Aziz Ansari thing is kind of a... It's up in the air about how he actually really treats women, but 
it was definitely on my mind as I watched his character. Yeah, that's not a... That's, kind of yeah. act super creepy towards women was that he maybe allegedly acts at least somewhat creepy towards some women in real life. And it was just like, oh, this is not good. Yeah. I can see how that could be an issue. I do kind of like the way he tries to weasel out of, in the Harvest Festival episode, which we'll talk about next, the way he tries to weasel out of being responsible for Lil Sebastian. Which he absolutely is, 100%. Yes. That, well, that's, you know, sort of... And I think that's Tom's character, is that, like, he's... He, he has bigger ambitions, but in order to reach those bigger ambitions, make some questionable choices, including being friends with Jean Ralphio and trying to impress Dennis Feinstein and stuff like that. Feinstein. But I'm trying to think if there's anything else. The flu season episode, I mean, the best part of it is Leslie's whole speech and everything that she gives. Not to get too political, but there was, during the 2016 election, the the meme of or the clip of Leslie sort of like having the flu and then getting up and delivering a really good speech was going around when Hillary was uh had some kind of illness was it pneumonia and, or something yeah pneumonia and people were like oh is she healthy enough can she like do this job or whatever and everyone's like yes Leslie Nope has done this has shown us that she can do it so that's what I think I really of when like I watch it. You know, the whole Ben Leslie shipping thing was really sweet to me. You know, they're both adults. <laughs> you know, it's obviously there's like great interest on both sides. There's it, And even though they're co-workers, it's never creepy. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he like brings her the homemade chicken soup at the end of this episode, I was like, oh, all right. I, I thought I'm that was really this. sweet. I'm into and this. She wants the waffles and he's like, I'm just going to leave that soup right there. It's a ho- homemade recipe. Like he's right? just, and she's he's just like, like repping his soup, and she just all she wants is waffles. She just has a mouthful of waffle. Yeah, yeah, and and that's kind of the nice thing about these episodes is that because we watch them all in season three and we watch them chronologically, we kind of get to see Ben and Leslie like evolve. Yeah, and that's exactly why I watched several more after was because I just like wanted to follow this thing out. Yeah. So moving on to. Harvest Festival. It's the day before the Harvest Festival, and the local tribal leader, Ken Hotate, asks Leslie to move the Harvest Festival's carnival off of a sacred Native American burial site. His request is denied, and he mentions a curse kind of offhand. Uh, Ben and Leslie dismiss the curse until things start going wrong at the festival. Can you explain, maybe when you're done with this summary, Uh what... They're talking about with Ben's past. Yes, as a, I will. Thank I you. Will. <laughs> and then Ben and Leslie's flirtation continues to grow. And April and Andy, who at this point have been in a relationship for about a month, confess that they love each other. But April says, I love you. And Andy says, dude, that's awesome sauce. And she gets angry with him and spends the rest of the episode pretty salty with him until the end. when Until Ron, Ron Swanson... Sp- rightfully tells her to stop being a child they uh, he tells them all to stop being children (laughs) april he loves you too stop being a child i love that so ben when he was 17 and you find this out when he sort of shows up at the end of season two ben when he was 17 he became the youngest mayor of his hometown in minnesota i think it's minnesota and he thought it would be cool to start a project and a winter sports complex called Ice Town, 
and he completely mismanaged it because he was 17 years old and it bankrupted the town and so he had to like resign and so basically the past 12 years or so he has been he's only supposed to be 29 well she says you put in 12 years with the state government in in one episode so well i imagine he ended up going to college (laughs) yeah so he's supposed to be in his 30s yeah so the past 12 years he's been working for the state government as an auditor so that's how he comes to pawnee because they're sort of in debt at the end of the the city's in debt at the end of season two and he comes to pawnee as an auditor and he's been traveling around the state with chris they're like an auditing team basically and he basically says that he he took that job so that he can show that he's responsible and he can actually like manage a budget and manage a project so that one day he could run for office if he wanted to and like have some kind of experience other than ice town so because it kept getting brought up and i was like is th- was i supposed to do some reading <laughs> yeah no so yeah it, it's really just he was 17 he mismanaged a big project and bankrupted the town and he had to resign as mayor but no mayor should be 17 and no town should have elected a 17 year old so it's kind of silly but so that's so when people are saying like oh first ice town and now this like you're the curse that's why he left because he was feeling kind of self-conscious i mean it's a hell of a mark on your record yes i think so I mean, if I were going to be the mayor of a small town, I think I would, you know, if I had to invest in something silly, I don't think it would be a winter sports complex. But then again, I didn't grow Maybe up in Minnesota. It would be. <laughs> yeah. I feel like winter sports is a bigger deal there. So anything else from this episode? I mean, I thought this You missed the whole, great. like, reporter sort of angle on this. Oh, yeah. So um, Mo Collins from, from Mad TV. She plays Joan Calamezzo, who shows up. She's a recurring character, and she shows up a lot. And she's always looking for uh, a scoop, and she's always looking for basically drama. And so uh, at first, she's very impressed with everything. And then she overhears Ben and Leslie talking about, you know, take that curse, take that curse. And she's like, ooh, what curse is this? And then all of a sudden, you know, things sort of spiral out of control. Also, Anne has like a little subplot where she hooks up with a guy in the medical tent who's kind of a reject. Like a big guido. Yeah, kind of like a reject from Jersey Shore, which I don't know how he made it to Pawnee, Indiana, but... There are guidos everywhere. I guess so. And... Oh, Tom and Jerry, which always makes me think of the cartoons, lose Lil Sebastian. And so Who is a miniature horse. And I'm 100% with Ben on this. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> Everyone is, you're supposed to be <laughs> okay. with Ben, I think. So they lose him and they have to go find him. And April and Andy are, you know, kind of, well, April's angry at Andy and Andy's just doofing around, basically, <laughs> as he is wont to do. But everything. It's so weird to see this, like, pre-fame Chris Pratt. Yeah, pre, like, super jacked Chris Pratt being, like, right. <laughs> just a total doof. And, uh, yeah, he was, I think he was on one show before, he was on, uh, one, uh, not One Tree Hill, he was on Everwood before this, but other than that, I don't think he'd been really on anything else. Anything in particular you want to talk about with this episode? It was very solid. Um, I really liked all the plot threads. Oh, I guess, so I guess you didn't mention that Chris and Anne had, like, briefly dated. Oh, yeah, they dated for... (laughs) And so they were dating in the last episode we watched. And then in this episode, it's revealed that Chris broke up with Anne. 
Yeah, for reasons he, I don't. He thought he was going to be leaving town again, and they were not going to see each other again. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't make much sense, but okay. What What ends up happening with each of them over the course of the show, or in this? Yeah, yeah. By the end of the By the end of the series. So Chris and Anne end up together. Chris and Anne do end up together. Yes. Oh, they do. Yeah, they move back to Anne's hometown. I think they. I think Rashida Jones was leaving the show, so. They wrote her, her and Chris having, they ha- are having a kid together and they moved back to Anne's hometown. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. Um, but they basically, so you'll, in um, April and Andy's fancy party, they make mention of the fact that like Ben could either go out and do another job with the state auditor or work for Chris. So Chris so, thought yeah, that so- they were... Chris thought that he was going to be sent out on another on another assignment, but then it, he took over a city manager. So he broke up with Anne thinking that he wasn't going to see her again. But then they ended up in the same town still. So so there are a pair of auditors employed by the state and Chris first resigns from the state to take a city job. But Ben is still working for the state for a little while after. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. Okay. The poor state auditor's office is like, oh, we lost another pair of them to a charming small town. <laughs> we just can't keep them. We can't send out single people anymore. They have to be married. I think, yeah, I think that's... So that's why, you know, Chris and Ben have the friendship they do, because they've been auditing towns together for a while. But they never ran into a town with so many beautiful women. I guess not. <laughs> I love, or, well, this is in the episode probably that you watch because they kiss for the first time, but I, I love talking to the town and the town has really nice blonde hair. Yes. That has was... read a shocking number of political biographies for a town, which I really like. <laughs> yeah, it was very sweet yeah. the way that he was kind of sweet talking her and then yeah. immediately gets cock blocked by Chris. Can we say that? Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. I don't know. You always say I don't it's a family-friendly podcast. Yeah, well, I think, you know. <laughs> uh, phallus blocked? <laughs> I heard on another show I really like the term dong wrong. You're really dong wrong in me. <laughs> That's so much worse. <laughs> I-, I liked I liked the the simultaneous acknowledgement that the United States government has done horrible things to Indian tribes and Indian people and the settlers did terrible things to Indian people without it being sort of this like repressive thing that steals joy from the episode. Yeah. Like it's, it's treated in a, in a way that is like light enough so that it doesn't become uh, like a total downer scene, but also seriously enough that like it does impress upon you that there were, Indians living here and white people came in and killed a bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, and then that's a theme throughout. Like the the settling of Pawnee, Indiana is like something that comes up a lot and is usually about like how comically disastrous it all was for everyone involved, including the Native Americans, especially the Native Americans. A lot of women, you know, like there's a woman who at one point, this is, this shows up later, but... There's a woman who deigns to wear, like, an outfit that shows her elbows, and she's set adrift on, like, a piece of ice. 
like uh, there was some there was something in one of the episodes i watched about how a magician came to town in, yes. the, ni- in the 1970s and was burned at the stake was burned at the, yes that's exactly yeah so i mean it's all sort of comical about like how just how ridiculous the people of Pawnee are and and how in this case how terrible they were to native americans it's kind of funny to me that like that didn't create any resentment because I mean it was being written in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. That that didn't cause any resentment with like real Hoosiers that like they were that they say something like you know the people of this town are so ignorant that they burned a magician at the stake in the 1970s, right? Which is basically what they're saying. I think, I think it's all in good fun, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you and I think it's in good fun, but that's true. I don't know if you actually live there. That's true. Although if we if we look at other places that Michael Schur and the Schurniverse kind of lampoon. I mean, Karen in the office goes to the Utica branch and I've been to Utica. <laughs> not much doing there. We've also been to Scranton. Not much doing there. Brooklyn though. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's true. Brooklyn is a... Well, we'll get to that. We're doing Brooklyn Nine-Nine next week, right? Or yeah, I think we have to. And then... Uh, yeah, well, we'll see. And then, um... What's the other one? Oh, Jacksonville. <laughs> Oh, Manny Jacinto's character, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, like, and uh, Manny Jacinto has said in interviews that people from Jacksonville are like, "I know people just like you." <laughs> so, like, right. you know, people maybe, yeah, maybe people see the accuracy and they forgive that it's written by a bunch of Hollywood elites. Maybe, maybe there's, but there's also, to be fair, there's some also like real pot shots at the press in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, that's I true. Mean, I mean, I guess it's local news. It's not as if they're taking hits at, like, the New York Times and the Washington Post, right? They're, right. they're taking hits at local TV news. Well, specifically Joan, because she shows up a lot, and she's... Especially but in season But also the four. guy who's not her. Who? What? There's a African-American newscaster. Oh, Purred Happily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He's, he's a recurring character who's completely ridiculous he like can't i like one of the episodes i watched had a had a flashback of him covering oh wait was it the little sebastian thing i don't remember but it was like from him like 20 years ago and he had like a different haircut yeah i don't know that it was little sebastian but it was oh maybe it was but yeah he's really funny but yeah he sort of is very literal yeah they sort of take shots at, at local newscasters i think Joan, in particular, is kind of a hot mess of an individual, and that sort of spills over into. How <laughs> you know, she, she reminds me of is Jan. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's a great <laughs> Jan. <laughs> they should have gotten Melora Harton to do it. Yeah, Melora Harton's probably like, yeah, I don't think you can meet my quote. <laughs> yeah, I did like the April and Andy subplot because pretty soon we get to April and Andy's fancy party. So, but really quickly in this episode. He, they are, they've been dating for about a month. Andy is trying to win like a teddy bear for April and April wants like a million teddy bears. And he's like, okay, well, that's, you know, unreasonable. So well, maybe. I think he says he'll get her a million. A million. She, she wants a billion. And he's like, well, that's not like unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. So a million is fine, but a billion's too much. And uh, she's, she says, she admits to him for the first time that she loves him. And he's like, dude, that's awesome sauce. And... She is hurt because she's made herself vulnerable and he has sort of like doofed his way through that interaction. And for the rest of the episode, uh, up until the very end, she's like really salty with him. And then, well, 
he tries to get her to admit that something's wrong and she won't do it. And then she's just sort of angry with like him. Like the John Mulaney bit. Yes, exactly. And then they're all on the Ferris wheel looking for little Sebastian. And Ron kind of has a moment where he just tells everyone to act right and and get over themselves and so and it works it does work i mean that's the nice thing about ron is that when he sort of boils over people listen and uh he says andy she's mad at you because you said awesome sauce instead of i love you too april he loves you too stop being a child and then he says well i do love you and she goes really and he says well that's what makes the sauce so awesome (laughs) so (laughs) i like their relationship a lot which leads us to Season three, episode nine, April and Andy's fancy party. Uh, April and Andy invite everyone over for a dinner party that turns out to be their surprise wedding, which really freaks Leslie out, <laughs> like a lot. She never takes a chill pill this whole episode. Yeah, until the very end. And even that is... That's questionable. Yeah. And meanwhile, Ben contemplates his job prospects and leaving Pawnee and potentially leaving Leslie. And Anne and Donna go to a singles mixer. So I was unclear why Anne and Donna weren't invited to this party. So Donna was invited, we see at the beginning, but she chose not to go. Oh, okay. Anne probably wasn't invited because April hates her. (laughs) Oh, fair, fair, fair cop, fair cop. But everybody else is invited to Andy's roommate's house. So like Andy's friend's house. Because Andy is sort of famously, doofily, endearingly homeless for a lot of the beginning of this show. So they invite everybody over for a party and it turns out once they're there that it's their wedding and basically Andy says, you know, the other night I was just like, what if we got married tomorrow? And April was like, okay, or fine. She says fine. And like, that's how they decided. And um, much like Angela and Dwight. (laughs) Yep. And or no, Angela and Andy. Sorry, yes. The other Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie finds out and she tries to talk April out of marrying Andy. Not because she doesn't like Andy. She loves them both very much, but she thinks... She keeps insisting that she wants them to be together forever and therefore she must stop this wedding. (laughs) Because she thinks that they're being too rash. I mean, the whole... Leslie's character for a lot of this show is that she's like very, very type A and she doesn't have any chill and she can't go with the flow and she makes like charts about everything and pros and cons lists and she tells ben instead of i mean at the beginning of the episode we see instead of telling ben yeah i think you should stay here because i like you and i think you're good at this job she tells him to make a pros and cons list so she kind of tempers her own feelings in order to be rational and april and andy are the exact opposite of that and they just you know he says at the end, like, I cannot emphasize enough how much we didn't think about this or whatever he says. <laughs> yeah, it was something like that. So I actually, their wedding and the look that he gives her when she's walking down the aisle, like, still gets me every time. Is April come she will supposed to be diegetic to the scene? Um, You mean, is it in it? Like... Is it supposed to be the music that is playing for the people in the scene, or is it so. playing for the audience of I think us, it's playing of for you the and me? In the scene. Interesting, because yeah. I feel like the chances that they would have known Simon and Garfunkel of that era are like maybe one percent. I don't. Okay, well, but it's such a beautiful song that I was like, oh, yeah. 
it's such a good what a good choice for a character named april yeah um their vows are very april and andy and that's really i mean this this episode doesn't have a lot of other plot. No, threads. it's it's really it's really an A plot. I mean, it, I mean this the small B plot of the of the dating the so the singles mixer. Yeah, but there's almost nothing to that other than Anne having a little bit of trouble that Andy's getting married and Donna just telling her basically to go find some guy and distract herself with him. Yeah, I did love, I did love uh, Donna going. That was the worst thing I've ever seen. Did you live in the woods? Are you Nell from the movie Nell? <laughs> Donna is very funny. Yeah. And she really wasn't supposed to... She was supposed to be a background character, but they sort of, you know, read as very funny. So they kind of... Her episode her. of How Did This Get Made, where they do Spice World, is, is great. Mwah. Is great. And uh, I love the moment where Andy finds out that April's middle name is Roberta. <laughs> Ew! <laughs> Roberta! <laughs> and she's like, you don't even know each other's middle names? And Ron, I think, is the voice of reason in this episode, you know. Yeah, he says, like, I've been married twice, and Leslie reminds him of his actually been three times. Yes. And, like, he basically saying, like, I, you know, I did it the quote-unquote right way, where I knew someone for a long time, and I made a considered decision, and it still went down in flames, and, like, I don't think, you, you can't future-proof a marriage. Yeah. So, who's now, to say? that's a nice sentiment. The reality of the situation, right, is that certainly... Uh, failure to get divorced is positively correlated with many things, such as the you know higher age when the people get married and knowing each other for longer, and probably religiosity, and you know middle class existence rather than a working class existence. You know, like it, it's not random. It's a comedy. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> not, but I think that, I think that Ron's point is well taken. Which is that, you know, even if, even if, and, and I have this experience all the time in my actual life, which is that I think a lot of the decisions the people around me make are terrible. Thanks. And I, and I especially, especially <laughs> Bart, but especially Lisa. <laughs> but, you know, you have to just privately think that they're awful decisions. And, and I could tell, you know, People who are making decisions that I disagree with, like, say, like, homeschooling their children or whatever, I can cite them chapter and verse of why it's a bad idea. But at the end of the day, first of all, they're not listening to me. They don't care what I have to say. Second of all, it's like none of my beeswax. And yeah, I think I think that is the big part of this is, you know, Leslie's just trying to impose what she thinks is the correct way to handle things. And the point is that she needs to take a little bit of a lesson from them and loosen up a little bit and sort of trust her own gut about Ben. That's the Yeah, that definitely thing. is the actual thing that the episode is trying to point her to, which is yeah. that like it doesn't have to be as regimented. Love doesn't have to be as regimented as you think it has to be. Yeah. But I mean, for me watching it, the lesson was more a very hard lesson that I have had to kind of teach myself over the course of my 30 something years, which is like, Take your nose out of other people's business and do not volunteer an opinion for which you have not been asked. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the temptation in my life is extremely strong, right? Because I do a lot of reading. I have a lot of strong opinions and a lot of those strong opinions can be backed up by statistics. But like, nobody cares. No, very few not people... when it comes to things like relationships. Yeah. 
No, very few people in their lives are making decisions based on facts. So they don't really care if the thing that you have to say is like, actually, you know, for instance, I'll give you a for instance. Having children very close together can be slightly more risky, right? You, you, the second child is slightly more likely to be autistic and the mother is slightly more likely to like die in childbirth and the second child is slightly more likely to also die in childbirth. Like, you know, I, I think you can sum it up as like the human body, the female human body needs time to recover from gestation and, and childbirth, right? And so if someone says to me, do you think I should have kids 12 months apart? I'm going to say no. And I'm going to give them a list of reasons why they should not do that, right? That's not super common though, right? Usually people are going to be like, well, we just, you know, our baby just turned 12 months so we're going to start trying for the second one. And that's when you have to stomp on your natural impulse if you or me or Leslie Nope <laughs> to be like, actually, you should not do that because of this, that, the other thing, right? Because mm. they've like made up their mind and it's not your business. And just unless there is an obvious imminent threat to safety, like someone's like, I'm just going to leave my baby in this hot car for a minute while I go right. and get a burrito, in which case you should absolutely intervene, right? Yeah. But that's very different. But, like, that's not what Leslie and Ope and I are having a hard time with. Right. I mean, the thing is that April and Andy are both, like, you know... Very young. Very young, but they love each other and they both want this to be happening. And so I think that's, you know, sort of the other part of it is that, like, when two people... I, I think in particular with relationships and relationship advice, people don't ask for relationship advice unless it's sort of confirming what they already feel. I think very few people react well to unsolicited relationship advice. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, Leslie trying to be April's mom about it basically which april does have a mom who seems fine Who's with it so. there at the wedding right yeah. like they're all their whole families are there yeah and i i actually kind of like that you know when andy says like you're actually at our wedding everyone's just like oh yay and claps like no one's like what i can't believe this except for leslie so yeah i i think that's sort of the the lesson is that and and i know this is a sitcom obviously but april and andy they mature together and actually their relationship is one of the sweetest parts of like some of the later seasons they really do support each other it's very sweet i did watch a slightly later episode where it's revealed that they're living in filth yes they do <laughs> which is they're like very upsetting of frisbees and yeah i don't even want to talk about it i mean it turned my stomach i mean if i was the ben in that situation i would have run away yeah he decides to try to help them don't they get a marshmallow gun in that episode yes they they manage um, to be mostly adults yeah i will say one thing about this show is that the product placement is pretty blatant sure the the Bed Bath and Beyond one was where I was like one where I was like oh that's very obvious I mean they also did it in the Good Place right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she cries into a plunger at Bed maybe Bath and Michael Schur just like had a really um, <laughs> tight like, relationship with the PR firm at that Bed services Bath and Bed Bath and or maybe Bingo, he had a significant yeah a significant life event at a Bed Bath and Beyond and like just really <laughs> needs to work that out. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure money changed hands. And there were a couple others where I watched it. I was like, that's very obviously somebody paid money for their brand to appear on the show. But whatever. I think that's how networks have to make money these days. I think network TV specifically, like they don't really have a choice. They have to take that money. 
two little things and then I'll sort of, you know, we can continue on. One is that the animal control guys reappear in this episode. He, he's so tragic, though. He's I such, know. In real life, he's such a tragic figure. It's hard to watch. The late great Harris Whittles asks if April is down to clown <laughs> after she has just gotten married. Oh, that's the girl from that thing. Yeah, the wedding ceremony. <laughs> and they try to release doves, but it turns out that they're pigeons and it turns out that the pigeons are dead. Yeah, that was dark. <laughs> and then the other one is Jean Ralphio, my favorite reoccurring Oh yeah, character. there's all this drama about how Tom wants to be the best man and it's something on his bucket list and they're, they're all, turns out all the male attendants are all best men and Tom is not amused by this. But I will say I was grateful to be spared his best man speech. Yeah, John Ralphio is hilarious. I've seen um, Ben Schwartz, who plays John Ralphio, do improv live and he's hysterical and everything, I love everything he does. And uh, also, oh, one other tiny thing. April's weird friend Orin, who everyone is like trying to stay away from, and then turns out Chris freaks Orin out at the end of the episode. That yeah, really that was funny. Me. Exactly. Mortality. <laughs> Orin's like, I have to go. Anything else from this episode? Uh, let me look back at your notes. April's April sister gives a really. April. How did they find that actress? She's, they're like, are you also Aubrey Plaza? <laughs> Seriously, it was it was it was absurd. And April's, like, crying. She loves this speech so much. April, come she will. Oh, yeah, so I guess the, the Leslie Ben shipping in this episode is that by the end of the episode, Leslie is finally ready to tell Ben, like, you should stay in Pawnee. And he says, I already accepted, you know, a job in Pawnee, so I am staying, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. I, I like how this really, it, it seems to build up over the course of pretty much the entire season. Yeah. And it's just really nice to watch. Yes, it is really nice to watch. I think this, this one of, we didn't really talk about Jim and Pam and my issues with later Jim and Pam last <laughs> You want to get into it now? I don't want to get into it now, but I think one of the reasons why I find Parks and Rec more rewatchable or at least later seasons, like I go back to more than I do later seasons of The Office is because... Ben and Leslie do have some bumps in the road, but ultimately I think that their union was handled in a more mature way than what happened with Jim and Pam. So they get like a very, they get a, you know, they have, like I said, season four, there are some issues and challenges. Um, and, you know, that's not the only time that they're tested, but ultimately they have not only a very, happy relationship but an egalitarian relationship and he's very supportive of her ambitions and they both are very committed to one another in a way that i think you know the office ended up with jim and pam not handling that quite as well so i i love ben and leslie i think their relationship is really one of the best relationships i've seen on tv it has the will they won't they at the beginning and it has some drama, but it also allows them to, like, have this really wonderful and loving and supportive relationship. I will find. I am finally able to see Adam Scott as not a demon. Yay! And not a random weirdo from Wet Hot American Summer, the TV show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm finally able to see him as, like, a, a cute, 
romantic lead. Yes. But it took is, multiple hours of watching the, Parks and Rec. This is the Adam Scott that I am mostly in love with, and the demon Adam Scott is the Adam Scott that I find weirdly attractive, and I don't understand it. it <laughs> I think it, it's, like, a problem for all kinds of media, like... People who are in love with uh, the 10th Doctor on Doctor Who, who then watch Jessica Jones, I think, have, like, that kind of whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm not saying that actors should be typecast, but I have to admit, it's nice when an actor who you are mostly in love with never plays villains. Like, when did Harrison Ford ever play a villain? Don't think so. Um, No. No, he did not. He plays a man... <laughs> well, I mean, he plays uh, Deckard in um, Oh in Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Well, that's a uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think most people would agree that he's a villain, but he's definitely he's, he's not a, a he's not rapey sob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, could be a replicate. Apparently, I don't know. And he plays a guy who's on the run from his from. Tommy Lee Jones. What, the fugitive? Because he's, he's the been, protagonist. Right, but he's been framed for murder. So it's not yeah, like he, he plays... Didn't... <laughs> I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm just saying it's not like he plays, you know, the very swashbuckly... Like, I, th- I think probably Indiana Jones is the I'm not talking. I'm not talking about swashbuckling. I'm talking about... I'm thinking of the movies that he's been in, like the... With those Tom Clancy adaptations and the one where he's with the Amish people and this, oh, that, the other thing. Like, I love that movie. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but he's always... Witness. Yes. Oh, I, I learned that song, that Sam Cooke song from that movie. Yeah. Don't know much about history. Yeah. Don't know much trigonometry. Can we watch Witness for an episode? <laughs> Uh, uh <laughs> you're like i want to say yes but no <laughs> i do listen to a lot of sam cook at at my desk at work i just put the sam cook uh station on uh, amazon prime <laughs> just listen all day it's great buzz marketing for amazon prime uh, buzz market for sam cook all the live long day i mean that yeah. there's a voice that we have probably never seen the equal of so do we want to yeah, I think let's wrap up Parks and Rec because you wanted to talk about the Emmy noms. Oh yeah, a lot of Emmy nominations. Uh, Ted Danson got nominated for an Emmy for The Good Place. He he said on Twitter, "Thanks to Larry, which I assume is Larry David, for making sure that I'm not the oldest person in this category." Which I was like, <laughs> "Wow, it's like real curb your enthusiasm." <laughs> and Megan Amram got. The Emmy nomination that she was looking for with an Emmy for Megan. I mean, <laughs> she's not going to win, right? I guess I'm I haven't looked at her so. competition, but that, that thing was absurd. Yeah, I mean, it totally was. What What is a short form something or other? Short form web, I think. Oh, yeah. Curb Your Enthusiasm got an Emmy for Outstanding comedy se- or got an emmy nomination for outstanding comedy series i had no idea it was even still on me neither i don't ever want to watch that again <laughs> ted danson got an emmy nom for lead actor in a comedy series larry david for curb your enthusiasm okay so outstanding actress in a short form comedy and there might be more to that 
but it's cut off. So the nominees are Kelly O'Hara in The Accidental Wolf. I Diara, don't... Yep, I don't know. Diara Kilpatrick as Americ in American Coco. Mm, nope. Christina Pickles in Break a Hip. Nope. Lee Garlington in Broken. Nope. Naomi Grossman in Control Alt Delete. Also and no. Megan Amram in an Emmy for Megan. <laughs> so the the platforms for these are so two of them, including an Emmy for Megan, have their own websites. Two are on Vimeo. One is on abc.go.com and one is on Facebook.com. So, oh boy, Facebook. Huh. Yeah, apparently. Okay. Yeah. Other outstanding. I guess, oh, it looks like The Good Place wasn't nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series. Yeah, so there has been a lot of angry rumblings among the critic class. I mean, the AV Club's article about the Emmy nominations when they when they dropped, literally the title of the article was, This is the Bad Place. Mm, uh-oh. <laughs> because they were so mad about how how few nominations The Good Place got. Yeah, that's and I I saw somebody being really upset that Darcy Carden didn't get an Emmy nod for her role as Janet. Um, but I don't. Well, know I mean, there were no other nominations, right? Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I mean, the Outstanding Comedy Series: Atlanta, Barry, Blackish, Curb, Glow, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Silicon Valley, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, I mean, yeah. I literally just googled Emmy nominations, The Good Place, and. The Business Insider article that comes up first is all the biggest Emmy snubs of 2018 from the terror to the good place. And <laughs> like, um, I know people, people were are also mad. People, people are, are mad. also mad that the Twin Peaks didn't get any nods for the limited series. Like Kyle MacLachlan didn't get anything. Oh, interesting. That's a big, that's been a big thing on my Twitter feed. People being <laughs> mad about Twin Peaks. But we're pulling for you, Ted Danson. We love you. I mean, I think Kristen Bell, Darcy Carden, like, these are just, like, you know, come on, guys. I know, I know. I mean, it's certainly not a drama, so we can't do anything about that, but... No, they have different categories. Yeah. I just mean, like, is there any other way they could have snuck in, but not so much. But we love, we love Ted, and, you know, maybe we can do, like, a write-in vote. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Are you a voting member of the Academy? Yes, I am. (laughs) The Academy of Podcasters. I don't... I mean... uh, I think the Emmys are famously stupid, right? I I don't... The Schmemmys. I don't mean to... I don't mean to sound bitter, although I'm slightly bitter because... Okay, Kathy Griffin. (laughs) Because obviously The Good Place is the best show on TV. But... It, there's always talk about how the Emmys are just like hopelessly out of touch and like they'll they'll give the award for best series to some like I, my my memory is that Amer- was it called American Family? Yeah. Is that right? With um Sofia Vergara? Is that what it's called? American oh, Family? Um, no, no. Um Family Ties, Family Matters, <laughs> Family um, Dynamics, Step by Step. <laughs> step by step. Um Modern Family. Modern Family. How, like, Modern Family, like, won Best Comedy Series when it was in its, like, eighth season or something. You know what I mean? Like, but they will just kind of give the thing to the thing that is sort of old and familiar. Mm -hmm. And they are not 
super into learning about new shows. So you get these things. It's like, oh, well, if the show's been around for five years, then we're definitely, you know, I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is brilliant, but did she deserve to win Best Actress in a Comedy Series like 18 times? I I don't know. I don't know. They, yeah, they that's like true. The, the Emmy voters like the familiar. So the Americans been on has been on for a lot a long time. Game of yes. Thrones. I'm just looking at some of the other. Yes, exactly. So I think uh, if the Good Place lasts a couple more seasons, I mean, I think that Michael Schur has said he's got it out to three seasons, right? Which would yeah. make this coming season the last season, which would be very upsetting. <laughs> but if they went out, if they really like knocked it out of the park, I wouldn't be mad about it. I would just be sad. Oh, see, but- yeah. I mean, you're right because I'm looking at supporting actress in a comedy series, which would arguably be Darcy Carden. Yes. And Megan Mullally got a nod for Win- for Will and Grace, which is Probably like- for crying out loud, people. Yeah, I mean, seriously, are we doing this for real? No, thank yeah. you. <laughs> exactly. And like- Laurie Metcalf for Roseanne, which I, I love Laurie Metcalf, but Roseanne should not be getting any Emmy nominations. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they, they really lean on the uh, familiar. Yeah. But if The Good Place makes it... So, as I said, we don't really know if he's planning past season three, but let's say it makes it to season four. I can't really see it going much further than that, but let's say it makes it to season four. Maybe by season four, we're going to start to see these Emmy nominations and Emmy wins. Yeah. I mean... They gave it to Ted Danson because he's Ted Danson, right? I mean, they're all all the Emmy voters like Ted. It's <laughs> so good to see you again. Yeah, right. But they're not gonna they're not gonna give it to Darcy Carden because they don't know who she is. It's like deeply unfair and sort of infuriating. But like maybe you know the Golden Globes also does TV, so we'll see what happens to the Golden Globes. Yeah. Oh wow, he has a dozen Best Comedy Actor Emmy nominations now. But no wins? Is that the implication? Oh, I don't know. I'm just looking at it. He is now the most nominated performer in the category. Oh, Thursday's nomination marks Danson's 12th bid in the category. He has won twice for Cheers in 1990 and 1993. Oh, so he did win. Okay. Yeah. Because that's... He he deserved to win, right? Yeah. He also won my heart. You know. Last nominated, Emmy nominated for his guest turn on Damages in 2010. So it's been a <laughs> no, while. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm set. All right. So let's wrap up. What are we doing next? Brooklyn I think, well, so I, I think because we're going to have to really coordinate Brooklyn Nine-Nine pretty closely where we're going to have to both, you know, sort of figure out which episodes to maybe purchase or maybe borrow from the library or whatever. And I kind of want to survey the populace. Okay. Let's instead do his episode of Black Mirror, Black Mirror for next week. Okay. And then we can take some extra time to think about the Brooklyn Nine-Nine episodes we want to watch. Okay. So it's, I don't know which episode of Black Mirror it is. It's the one with, um, oh, who's the woman from the Jurassic World movies? Um, Bryce Dallas Howard. Thank you. I'm very old now. I was going to say Laura Dern. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> Laura <Ron>. Dern. <laughs> no, Who Bryce is Dal- nominated for an Emmy? Congrats, Laura Dern. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bryce Dallas Howard episode of Black Mirror is the one we're going to be watching. That's the one that Mike Sure wrote. Okay. I don't remember what it's called, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Until next time, my body is a microchip. Stop pooping. <laughs> we'll see you next time, Ding Dogs. When streams are ripe and swelled with rain May she will stay Resting